Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Banter Podcast, episode 63. I'm your host, Ben Cohen. And I am your co-host, Mike Luciano. And on today's episode, we will be talking about the new COVID-19 policies that Joe Biden announced on Thursday, which prompted an absolute conservative <laughs> a kissy fit, a tantrum, a meltdown, a freak out, all of those apply. We'll also be doing our what crazy fucking thing did Republicans say this week. Ben has something from Chris Christie. I have something from Donald Trump, but I cheated a little bit. And we'll also be discussing the 20th anniversary of 9-11. So we're doing the intro a little differently this week. And uh, I think this provides me with a natural opportunity to, to ask maybe for the first time ever, Ben, how are you, my friend? Mike, I'm, I'm so glad you asked. This is, I feel uh, on the spot here. This is the first time you've asked me how I'm doing on the, on, the, on the podcast and ever. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, but when we're not on the podcast, you're actually very uh, thoughtful and kind and ask me how I'm doing. But um, yes, so to the audience, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm tired. I'm very tired most of the time. Um, I, my three-year-old is uh, not letting me sleep much and I have uh, another child on the way in a couple of months i'm pretty exhausted uh but it's great otherwise i can't complain um no covid um we're happy we're healthy i think everything is pretty good i could do with being um a millionaire that would be nice um you know i've got a lot to talk about like since you've asked me you know i can keep going but um i'll spare everybody but uh generally speaking i'm good Great to hear, and I do find it hard to believe that this isn't. This might be the first time I did like part of the intro and asked how you're doing, but I'm pretty sure there was an episode like maybe 25 or 30 episodes ago where I asked you how you were doing. So, gonna have to go back and uh, check that, or maybe we hire an intern to do it for me because that sounds like a pain in the ass. <laughs> uh, but all right, so on Thursday, Joe Biden announced a slew of new policies to deal with, contain, stop the spread of COVID-19. And there's a lot here, but there th there's one big one or a couple of big ones in particular that really have drawn the ire of conservatives. So I'll just read them right here per the Associated Press. Private employers with 100 or more workers will have to require them to be vaccinated or tested weekly. Employers must provide paid time off for vaccination. I think the White House said that that provision uh, would affect like 80 million workers or something like that. Not sure how many of those people are already vaxxed, but likely tens of millions of them are not vaxxed and will soon neither I need to choose between getting vaxxed or getting tested weekly. Uh, going on, about 17 million healthcare workers in hospitals, clinics, and other facilities that accept Medicare and Medicaid payments must get vaccinated, and all federal workers and contractors must get vaccinated with limited exceptions. So we're talking about almost 100 million people here. Uh, that is, I think I saw a number that said it's something like two-thirds of the workforce. Uh, ben, I have a clip here of the some of the conservative reaction to these policies. How do you think they reacted to these eminently reasonable public health de decisions by the Biden administration? I'm sure they, they reacted like adults. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sure they saw the, the wisdom um, of Joe Biden's new policies 
given the fact that we're in a lethal pandemic, killing mostly Republicans right now, killing mostly unvaccinated Republicans. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty certain that they they'll probably be amenable to a lot of Joe Biden's new new policies. Uh, I, am I right? You are not. Uh, this montage was put together by uh, Jeff Waldorf, who's a liberal YouTuber. Um, I'm not going to play the whole montage. I'm just going to play the first 60 seconds just to give you a little flavor of how the right-wing media handled this announcement. This is the most overbroad, unconstitutional, and absolutely insane assault on our civil liberties in recent memory. My uh, blood is boiling, enraged at what I've seen from the White House today, trampling on our freedom, trampling on our liberty. I call on my fellow Americans, do not comply. Do not comply with the tyranny. And when the Gestapo show up at your front door, you know what to do. He's an angry man. He's a bitter man. He's humiliated by the Afghanistan situation. He's upset with the economic recovery where it should be, but it's not. So he's taking that anger out on the unvaxxed. Basically, he said the unvaxxed are the new terrorists. It's all this marks. So that's enough of that. Ben, what do you think? I think they should all feel free to shut the fuck up. Particularly given we're, you know, look, we're recording on 9-11, right? We're recording on 9-11. This is obviously the 20th anniversary since the terrorist attacks on uh, New York and on um, Pentagon. And... What happened in the wake, we'll get to that later, we'll be talking about this later, right? But what happened in the wake of the attacks on 9-11 was essentially a Republican-led war on civil liberties in America. So I don't want to hear a goddamn thing from Republicans in particular, right, who have also just passed some of the most restrictive abortion laws in the country, in Texas, about civil liberties, about personal freedoms, about the freedom to do whatever the fuck you want because, you know, you live in a free country and being American means that you don't have to look out for your fellow citizen. They're just children, really. I mean, it's it's the p- political opportunism that you can you can hit, you can smell. It's, it's desperate almost. It's a desperate attempt to, you know, score political points with the base to portray Joe Biden as something that he clearly isn't, right, which is a wannabe um, or a despot and a wannabe dictator like Donald Trump definitely was. Yeah, I think you just, you know, you can just ignore them. This is the problem now. They cry wolf so many times that you, it's not worth listening to anything they say. They're, they're, they're not adding to the debate. They're not being productive or helpful in any way during an incredibly dangerous pandemic. So, yeah, I'm just take what they say with a pinch of salt and ignore them. So, yeah, there you go. That's that's my reaction to the um, to those clips that you played. Ignoring them in order to keep your sanity is good advice. However, there are people who are mainlining this shit on the right wing. And this pretending, I love how these conservatives are pretending like vaccine mandates are completely unprecedented. Like Ron DeSantis... And Greg Abbott and a lot of these other Republican governors, they reacted that, you know, they said, we're going to sue Biden in court. We're going to stop these mandates from from going into effect. Um, And by the way, they're not even vaccine mandates for most people. Like you can choose to get the vaccine or you can choose to get tested weekly if you work at a company that employs 100 or more people. 
If you work in a company that implies fewer people in 100, then this doesn't apply to you. Also, well, quit your job. If you don't want a vaccine, if you don't want to take the vaccine, then don't work there. Go and work somewhere that won't that, that, that doesn't need to do that. Get an online job. Yeah, there's, door number one is the vax. Door number two is weekly testing. Door number three is <laughs> quit your job. But, you know, these conservative governors, I, you know, I just looked at Florida, for example. I pulled up the Florida Department of Health webpage before we got on. And I was looking at all of the things that students need to be vaccinated against in order to attend schools. And it's a lot of things. Measles, mumps, rubella, hepatitis, tetanus, diphtheria, pertussis, inactivated polio vaccine, and a lot of other shit here I can't even pronounce. But these are all things that you need to be vaccinated against in order to attend schools in Florida. And the, the you know requirements in other states are, I am sure, similar, if not identical. So all these Republican governors saying, freedom, 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 we're going to fight these new COVID rules in court, can actually sit the fuck down on this one. This is performative bullshit. It would be laughable if you know, the inevitable consequences of their behavior weren't so tragic and predictable, by the way. I mean, it's just insane that you're going to pretend like you don't already have vaccine mandates for a bunch of diseases. And then when it comes to the idea of mandates for a disease that sparked the biggest pandemic in a hundred years, you're going to make like a, this big show of opposing mandates for getting vaccinated against it. It's beyond insane. And, you know, as we've noted, it's killing their own voters. They are literally opposing policies that can and would save the lives of voters who in the next election would vote for them, but will not because they're going to be fucking dead. Here's the thing. It's like, the, it's like Trump's sort of political strategy, right? The Trump, the Trump playbook for, uh, for having a political strategy is win the 24-hour news cycle, and that's it. That's all these people are trying to do. They're just trying to dominate the headlines. Uh, it's like Ted Cruz, right, who, who on Twitter... Basically, he's like a he's like a teenager on Twitter. He tries to get as much attention for himself as possible by by jumping on any bandwagon he thinks will make him, you know, will, will give him some popularity with his base. It's sad. It's really sad. And again, it's proof that the there are no equivalents between the two parties. That there, you cannot make any comparisons between the Democrats and the Republicans at all. Like in in the UK, there are certainly in the conser- in the Conservative Party, there are factions of the Conservative Party that are far more, uh, how should we say, libertarian. They are, you know, I wouldn't say quite. They wouldn't. They're not deranged necessarily, but they, you know, they're against mask mandates and all this kind of thing. But it's a quite a small minority, uh, and the majority of the Conservative government are not in, uh, don't pay any attention to them whatsoever. So, but the Republican Party is is packed. Is it's I would say it's probably eighty five percent batshit crazy opportunists like Ted Cruz and Ron DeSantis, who have no business being in government, who should be fired for incompetent incompetency, fired for their disastrous handling of the pandemic, and sued into oblivion by the people who live in their states for their recklessness and cavalier attitude towards the lives of. Of American citizens. 
you know. But in, uh, in, in Donald Trump's America, when Fox News dominated America, that's nah, just fine. You know, that's just politics as normal. It's, it's really disturbing. My worry is that these sensible policies, which Biden is right to implement, will absolutely supercharge the anti-vaxxers and those who are not anti-vax, who nonetheless make a show like they're, they're anti-vax curious. <laughs> you know, I, like, like I mentioned Ron DeSantis, who has encouraged people to get the vaccine, but that guy has been pimping monoclonal antibodies, which treat you when you have COVID. He's been pimping that way more than the vaccine. I mean, you just look at his social media feeds. I'm mean, like, it's all, it's, it's mostly monoclonal antibody clinics. Like look at these clinics that I've set up. It's like, you wouldn't need all those clinics if more of your population were vaccinated. So why don't you talk about the fucking vaccine? They don't want to. Here's the thing. They, they don't want to. And just quickly before we move on, I, I do want to quickly bring up, I know we talked about Joe Rogan last week and his use of ivermectin and monoclonal antibodies and antibiotics for a virus, which you have to be an idiot to do. Just, I want to quickly say, um, because Joe Rogan uh, on his podcast this week complained about CNN uh, characterizing him as, a, as you know, a fruitcake for taking a horse deworming drug to cure, uh, to cure COVID, right? And then claimed that, you know, it worked, right? Because look at him, he's, he's healthy, which is basically the sort of, He's kind of parroting the right-wing nonsense conspiracy theories about COVID and the, uh, and the truths for that. That he is talking out of his arse. He is talking out of his arse. Ivermectin, just for the record, right? Ivermectin was first uh, um, authorized for the use in livestock, right? In, I believe it was in Japan. Uh, it was, before, and it was then only. If, uh, I think it was a few years later, it was given the okay for humans. Uh, monoclonal antibodies as well. Ron DeSantis' um, uh, favoured treatment for COVID. Is, it only works in people with severe COVID. So not much use until you're, until you're in dire straits. So I think, you know, look, there's a lot of disinformation out there. And these guys um, are, not only are they, are they trying to um, stop sensible policies, but they're also out there peddling quack uh, quack medicines and quack cures for it as well and things that won't, won't be helpful right and as you say ron DeSantis with his uh, monoclonal antibody uh, clinics you don't need it if you get a vaccine nope you are you are highly unlikely to uh, need it at all if you are fully vaccinated yeah R rogan his whole thing was basically i took ivermectin and i got better it's like all right well what else did you put in your body did you have eggs at any point you know, did you have a BLT? Did you drink a soda? I mean, why not home in on those as the possible reasons your COVID got better? Like, I, I can't even believe it has to be pointed out, but correlation does not equal causation. One last thing before we move on to a crazy fucking thing. I do have to ding the Biden administration for a completely, just a giant gap in terms of like these policies that he announced on Thursday which are very much designed and they are important and necessary designed to contain the spread of COVID. But on the Southern border, the migrants who are allowed to come into the United States, not only are they not vaccinated at the border, they are not tested at the border, 
most of them, for, based at, on last check, according to a New York Times article last month. So I really don't understand how the Biden administration can say to almost 100 million American workers, you must be vaxxed or, and or undergo um, weekly testing, but these, these folks at the border, they can, we're just going to wave them on in. I just don't understand. I mean, it's, it's a completely inconsistent policy. And frankly, I don't know how hard is it to get like 100,000, 200,000 J&J vaccines to the border? Right, because the J and J that requires one jab, so you you give it to them once, and you don't have to see them again. You know, whereas like Pfizer, Moderna, you got to get two jabs, so they they don't have to like come back because a lot of them probably wouldn't, you know, follow the instructions. I just don't understand how you can hold those two policies, have those two policies simultaneously. Um, the migrants should be required to get a vaccine. Uh, I think that's completely reasonable. If you want to come into the country, you should be vaccinated fully. And yeah, I like, I just, it's the right thing to do. And just politically, I, it, this makes them look pretty foolish and it is, it's starting to hurt them in, in the press. So I did want to say that because that seems ridiculous to me. Yeah. I mean, from what we know thus far, I would agree with you that it seems pretty ridiculous. I think that, you know, that Jen Psaki's, um, quip at the, at the latest, uh, uh, press briefing wasn't helpful. Um, so she just moved on. She just said, um, I think it was who it was. Um, it, it was, it was Peter Ducey. Yeah. And he basically juxtaposed the two policies. You know, he said something yeah. like, well, 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 why require these, you know, American workers to get vaccinated when you're not requiring migrants is that is that the policy she said yes and just moved on to the next reporter yes and and i don't that's it's not helpful to say things like that right and and it's politically uh, again i think this is another example of i hate to say it right but like woke politics um that uh aren't helpful to the biden administration you know because there's absolutely no reason as you said it's completely reasonable if you want to come into the country uh, and live and work here, you get a vaccine, get a COVID vaccine. I think that would be, it's eminently, it's incredibly sensible. I do think, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a privilege to come to, to, to live in another country, right? It, it's sort of, you know, and you want to participate in society and you want to, um, you know, become part of, you know, local communities and go to work. And yeah, just like, it's like going to school, right? It's a privilege to go to school as well. Just get vaccinated. Right. So I don't think it's, it's not a big deal. So I think this is this is sort of an example of the Biden administration maybe engaging in the, the sort of woke politics that don't uh, that don't help that don't help them. It'd be very simple to get them vaccinated. And, um, you know, so you at least stop Republicans whining about it. Should we do what crazy fucking thing did a Republican say this week? Uh, we should. I believe you're going first. I, I'm up. So this week I've got a bit of a bit of a cheat here i've got a bit of a cheat which is it's our great uh, it's our good friend um former new jersey governor chris christie who uh gave a speech at the ronald reagan presidential library and museum uh, this past week in simi valley in california uh, where he talked about his vision for the future of the republican party and chris christie said a lot of things but notably he said 
quote, that the party needs to, quote, renounce the conspiracy theorists and truth deniers and to not let, quote, a few zealots drive the common sense voters away um, as if it wanted to win elections moving forward. He said uh, the party needs to put it back to being the party of reason, decency, faith, liberty and truth. Um, he said enough with the wishful thinking and self-delusion. We are also overdue to stop wallowing in the past. We need to renounce the conspiracy theorists and truth deniers, the ones who know better and the ones who are just plain nuts. Um, he also said he needs to be the party that embraces the truth, even when it's painful. Grievances and conspiracy theories always die hard, but they can only live in the darkness. Their days are numbered once the light, the light of truth shines down. So stop pretending we won when we lost. He told, this is what he said to the audience there. He said, it's a waste of time, energy, and credibility. Ben, I thought this was supposed to be a crazy fucking thing. That seems pretty reasonable to me. So I'm going to say that this is crazy because I don't think Chris Christie understands the, the party that he is a part of. Ah, this is so. Uh, this is clearly Chris Christie positioning himself, positioning himself for another run in 2024, right? I don't think he's the guy is is a glutton for humiliation. He loves it. He absolutely <laughs> loves it. He loves interesting, the- interesting choice of word. He does. He, he what he he does. He loves getting punished. Um, he loves to be humiliated. He apparently, you know, he lapped it up when Donald Trump humiliated him over and over and over again. Donald Trump gave him fucking COVID, right? Almost killed the guy. And Chris Christie still went out and voted for him. Right? This, this is how, this is how uh, a sound of a man Chris Christie is. Uh, you know, look, I do sometimes think that Christie is, is one of the kind of set Republicans that you could actually have a conversation with. He's not insane, right? But he doesn't. He clearly doesn't understand the party that he's he's um, he's representing. This is a surefire way to not win uh, the the GOP nomination in twenty twenty four, particularly if Donald Trump is running. So I don't know what he's um, he's doing. He says if the this is another quote from his speech. He said if the requirement in today's politics is for getting your support, is to say a bunch of things that aren't true. No, thank you. If it requires bending to the will of any one person rather than the advocating ideas for the good of all people, then count me out. He said no man or woman, no matter the office they have held or the wealth they have acquired, is worthy of blind faith or obedience. Uh, he said, that's not who I am. That's not who we are as Republicans. I hate to say this, um, Chris, but that is exactly what Republicans are. That's exactly who you are. I don't know what you're talking about. You, the, the, the GOP is a Trump cult. It's not a political party anymore. It's, it's like the, 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 the Sunshine people. It's like the, uh, the Rajneeshis, um, the Osho cult in, um, in Oregon in the 1980s. They, they're batshit crazy. Right. And, and for him to say this is just, I mean, is he, I don't know, what is he trying to do? Is he trying to, is, does he want Trump to come after him again? I mean, it didn't end up, it didn't end well for Christie. You talk, you speak truth against Trump and the Republican Party. You're not a Republican anymore. Maybe he thinks that there might be an appetite in two years for a non Trump cultist who nonetheless, I mean, let's face it, Christie dr- does have some Trumpy elements to him. He's, he's pretty unfiltered. He's pretty blunt. He'll get in your face. He'll go after you. So maybe, maybe that's what he's thinking. 
because I mean, I, I don't think there's a there's a another path for him. I don't think there's a Trumpy path for him. Trump has him out trumped. DeSantis probably has him out trumped. Um, what other freaks would be in that? Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, you know. So maybe he's making a calculation that if because we know the Hollies and the Pompeos and the Cruises, if Trump announces, they're gone. They're not gonna. They're not gonna throw their lot in. They're gonna let Trump run. They're gonna stand aside. So maybe what Christie is thinking is that it'd be better for him to be on a stage with Trump alone. You know, just the two of them going at it. Maybe he's got a better chance of becoming president or the nominee at least that way than he would in a scenario where say for whatever reason Trump decides not to run and he's going up against like 20 other Republicans or something. Like that's the only thing that's that's the only thing I can I can just think of off the fly here. Yeah, I mean I'm going to I'm going to um interject there and I'm going to say that yeah that might be his strategy but it's not going to work. It's not going to work. I I'm not saying it's going to work. I'm just saying that might be part of his th- yeah, no, I it, right, right. I mean, maybe that is part of his thinking, right? That that he he can go toe to toe with Trump and try to convince the the what was his um, Trump's approval rating with the GOP with the Republican Party? It was something insane. Yeah, it was in in the nineties, right? And even yeah. after the insurrection, it was it was it was at least high eighties, um, if I recall correctly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he wins every poll. You know, wins every of poll. 2024 hopefuls, he wins every poll. Right. With Ron DeSantis running a very distant second. Mm-hmm. So Chris Christie's nowhere to be seen anywhere. I also love the way these Republicans are willing to talk shit about Trump now he's out of office. Right. Some of them have, have like found their courage and found their voice and they're willing to kind of speak out about all the lies and misinformation and propaganda and cult of personality um, when he's not in office. Like when it would, it would have been helpful in 2016, right? In the lead up to the 2016 election, Chris Christie was one of the first pe- first people to uh, basically um, legitimize Trump, right? By um, uh, endorsing him after, after he lost, right? Um, Christie's got his—he's got his uh, his fingerprints all over this crime, all over it, right? And I don't—you know—now he's found his moral voice. Now he's found his conscience, right? About as if they didn't know who Trump was back in the day. Like, uh, yeah, I wrote about—I wrote about this in the banter this week about, um, uh, you, you know, um, how bad Trump. Many of us knew Trump was from the beginning. Right, and I think you had to be willfully ignorant to 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 not see how dangerous this guy was, and and I yeah I've got no time for any of these Republicans who are now finally seeing the light and and speaking out. It's like Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan comes out and does a very brave speech against Trump. You know when Trump's out of office, when Paul Ryan's retired from politics. It's like thanks, bro. I really appreciate that. Like you, you might have had it. You might have made cha- changed something when you had some power. That might have that might have been helpful. Uh, now, now you found your balls, and you're and you know you're you're against the cult of personality and uh, and, and and a demagogue, right? Like, but where were you when we needed you? Same with Chris Christie. Where was where was Chris Christie when we needed him? 
nowhere. All the most of the only people who who actually did anything vaguely commendable uh, was I would say Mitt Romney is up there, uh, John McCain, um, who, who obviously is dead now. But there were very very few Republicans who did anything remotely brave when when Donald Trump got elected, and Chris Christie was not one of them. So yeah, um, I, I don't you know anyway. He I just think he's 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 desperate. He's sad and. Uh, He's saying the right things now, but it's too little, too late, and it's stupid because he he has got no chance of of winning on that message. All right, my crazy fucking thing. Speaking of Donald Trump, I'm also cheating a little bit here because this is really a what crazy fucking thing did a Republican say this week twenty years ago? So this is the 20th anniversary of 9-11, of course. We are recording on 9-11. This will drop on 9-12. So this is also the 20th anniversary of a very infamous phone call that Donald Trump had with a local news station in New York City. Uh, Not long, was it a couple hours? Uh, Let's just say mere hours after the towers fell. And... Donald Trump was on the line giving his reaction for whatever the fuck that's worth. And uh, let's, let's, uh, let's reminisce a bit here. Donald, uh, you have one of the landmark buildings down in the financial district, 40 Wall Street. Uh, did you have any damage or did you know what, what's happened down there? Well, it was an amazing phone call I made. 40 Wall Street actually was the second tallest building in downtown Manhattan. And, and it was actually before the World Trade Center was the tallest. And then when they built the World Trade Center, it became known as the second tallest, and now it's the tallest. This fucking guy. <laughs> um, I'd also uh, like to point out that, do, do you know what Trump is doing on, to commemorate 9-11? He's commentating a boxing match. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, well, he, he was at, a, uh, at one of the precincts, NYPD precincts in lower Manhattan today. Didn't attend the ceremony, though. Uh, at ground zero, but this fucking guy, all right, a couple of things about this that are just insignificant in the grand scheme of things before I get onto the, try to get inside this man's brain. The North Tower and the South Tower, that's two towers. Donald Trump is telling us that before the towers fell, he had the second tallest building in lower Manhattan. Even though 40 Wall Street was shorter than both of those towers. That's, that's, an, interesting, that's an interesting analysis there when it comes to it's just interesting math. But second of all, even when those towers fell, Trump still didn't have the tallest building in lower Manhattan. I think it was like 70 Pine Street or something like that, which is still up. Like he, he's just a liar. We know that he, he's a bragger. He just, but so aside from, from that, aside from, you know, how, how large his phallus is relative to the other phalluses in lower Manhattan, what kind of person on that day in that situation on a phone call in which he claimed that, you know, he's got friends in those towers, which means presumably a lot of them, at least some of them are dead. What kind of person has that thought even enter their head, let alone vomit it out 
during a phone call with a news station in a city that is under attack. I, I, I just, I have no, I know, I, I don't have any like witty answer to this. I just, it's a question, it, and it just shows you what kind of person he is, right? And back then, he was just uber man-child trust fund douchebag back then. You could just say, yeah, get a load of this asshole. Oh, what a dick. And forget about it and move on. And then he later becomes president of the United States. And he said a whole host of shit over the years that was just wildly inappropriate or inaccurate about 9-11 Remember, I think he, he showed up a, to a Ground Zero event or a commemoration anniversary or whatever, and he like did a double fist pump. It's like, can you read the fucking room? And I think sometimes the answer is he can't. He really can't. He really lacks the ability. He, he can't, the man can't president right. And today, he was uh, he released a video statement that I didn't watch, but you know, I saw somebody's recap of it in text form, and he just absolutely slammed Joe Biden during this little video address he gave. And it's like, dude, this – can you just for one fucking day – like if there was one day out of the year where you just leave politics out of it, don't attack the current president, this is the day. It's not Christmas. It's not Thanksgiving. It is 9-11. But he just can't do it. He can't, he, he just incapable of doing it because he is a malignant narcissist who only gives a shit about himself and only gives a shit about revenge, taking revenge on other people. And, um, just man, I, I hope, I hope this never, this guy never holds office again. Well, we've got his 2024 presidential bid. Uh, I think that we're about to we're about to see that in the near future. I think 2022 is going to announce it. So, yeah, we've got to look forward to this all over again, unfortunately. But, no, I, I agree completely. The guy, he's incapable of showing empathy. He's incapable of – he can't talk about anything other than himself and how big his buildings are, which is obviously uh, maybe perhaps a metaphor for something else. Um, you know, and – it's just a, it's a it's very it's just sad that the, no matter the occasion he can't help himself he has to he obviously his narcissistic egomaniacal tendencies shine through on on every single occasion right it, it's just and the funny thing is that he, this guy is supposed to be a conservative and conservatives I thought were supposed to be about loyalty honesty you know being it should being humble and. Uh, um, about honor and this guy's none of them, nothing. Right? He he's a lying braggart, megalomaniac, lunatic. So in what way this is conservative, I don't understand. But there you go. They canceled. I remember when they canceled the Dixie Chicks because they criticized George W. Bush during the Iraq War. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, but yep. they the, the Dixie Chicks. They yeah, they trashed him at a concert. And uh, the right wing just lost its shit. So, um, so yeah, talking about 9-11, you know, this segment is not going to be a retrospective on that day. Um, you can, there's plenty of places you can get for that. Um, you know, there's, it's just like, 
I, I have to say, it's like content saturation at this point. I mean, everything on TV, on social media, on online media outlets, it's just everywhere. So you can you can get whatever you need there about that. But I, I just wanted to take a, a quick, and Ben, I know you have some thoughts to add. Um, I just want to talk about the phrase, never forget, um, which is what we were told after 9-11, you know, never forget. I, I, I have to say, you know, always, I, f- I find it kind of strange. Uh, I mean, I get it. But if you were old enough on that day 20 years ago, um, if you're old enough where that registered in your brain what was happening, uh, it was going to be seared onto your memory. You know, I can tell you where I was when I heard. I was in AP English class at senior year. I can tell you how I felt when I watched the second tower come down on live TV in my high school library. You know, I know some of the stories of people who died. I can tell you about the field trip we took the following April and brought baked goods to various firehouses in New York City. Um, And, you know, visiting Ground Zero Memorial for the first time, because I'd lived in lower Manhattan for seven years, not during 9-11, but, um, you know, stuff like that is important to remember. But just as important and possibly more important is to never forget how we reacted as a country in the ensuing weeks and months and years after 9-11, right? Because you'll remember Americans were scared because they didn't know if when, if the next attack would come. Bush had something like a 91% approval rating or whatever it was. The Patriot Act, Ben, you mentioned civil liberties earlier in the show. The Patriot Act, the Patriot Act dealt, dealt a huge blow to civil liberties, um, and lawmakers didn't even have time to read it, but they overwhelmingly passed it nonetheless, and it was signed into law. The U.S. went into Afghanistan to smash up al-Qaeda, fine, but they didn't seem to have an exit strategy. They tried to nation build, which, by the way, Bush campaigned against in 2000, and then the nation bought Bush's bullshit about WMDs in Iraq. And and then the same conservatives who are now saying the Iraq war was a bad idea were telling anti-war people that they hated the troops, they were undermining the Dixie Chicks, uh, they were under, excuse me, they were undermining America, and they canceled the Dixie Chicks. Um, You know, Michael Moore was booed at the goddamn Oscars, of all places, for speaking out against the war. And a lot of Americans died in Afghanistan and Iraq, almost 7,000, I believe. Not to mention hundreds of thousands of Afghans and Iraqis. All right, so way, way, way more lives have been lost over decisions that our government, which represents us, has made than on 9-11. Even if you just count the Americans killed, which you shouldn't, you should also count the Afghans and the Iraqis that were killed. So, you know, I, I really hope when it comes to never forget, yes, never forget what happened on 9-11, but also never forget what we fucking did in the years after it. So if something like this happens again, we remain grounded and take rational, necessary measures against those who perpetrated whatever attacks may be coming next while making sure that we don't lose our goddamn minds. Right. I think you've summed it up perfectly, you know, and this has been kind of my problem whenever it's September 11th and 
unfortunately, the sort of, I hate to say this, right, but it, it feels a bit like kind of mass virtue signaling now. A lot of the, a lot of the anniversary, the commemorations, right, it, it's because that's really what the Bush administration turned it into. They turned it into a referendum on your patriotism, right? If you didn't agree with everything the Bush administration was doing, you were no longer a patriot. You were no longer an American and you were a coward, you were a communist, you were a liberal traitor, and you didn't you didn't love America because you weren't down with attacking, you know, two countries that had nothing to do with it. Right? I think that's forgotten, right? Afghanistan had nothing to do with nine eleven. Like the Taliban had Well, nothing. they were they they were allowing the Taliban to operate within its borders. Yeah, and I and I and you know, to a to a degree, I, I agree with some of the um parameters within which the Afghan mission was kind of, you know, set. I I, I sort of I thought that, you know, that was that was reasonable to go in and, and um take out Al Qaeda uh, in Afghanistan or wherever they were. And that's perfectly reasonable. But, you know, uh yeah, the whole everything that happened afterwards, nation building and you know, endless war for two decades, right? And then uh, what happened in Iraq, um, the disaster, which Iraq, which did have absolutely nothing to do with 9-11 whatsoever, right? And that turned out to be the biggest foreign policy disaster in 50 years. Um, so it was, you know, and, and that's what it feels like. That's what I remember that because I was, I moved to America uh, in 2004, um, but I'd been there for college in 2003, and I'd also been in high school in the US until 1999, from 97 to 99. So I spent a long, I wasn't in America for 9-11, but I spent, you know, I've lived half of my life in the United States. So I'm very aware of culturally, you know, um, uh, what has happened um, pre nine eleven and post nine eleven? The two, you know, it's two very different climates. Uh, but I remember being—I was at Oregon State University in two thousand three, uh, and there were pro-war marches on campus, um, which was bizarre. And I was obviously—I was studying politics and international relations, and I remember sitting in class, um, and people spouting all sorts of nonsense about Saddam Hussein and 9-11 and just thinking like, do you, you do realize that Saddam Hussein is a like pan-Arab socialist who hates Al-Qaeda and hates fundamentalist Islam and had nothing to do with 9-11 and yet you're banging the drums to go to war. And, and then, you know, every year on 9-11, they'd, they'd kind of, you know, you had to wrap yourself in an American flag, sing the national anthem uh, and talk about getting the bad guys and defending freedoms and this kind of thing. And, you know, they didn't attack America because they hate American freedom, right? Which is the sort of right-wing talking point that it, it just doesn't make any sense. So for 20 years, it, it, there's been a sort of a, a, a very grotesque misunderstanding of what 9-11 was about. Right, and why 9/11 was important, uh, and and the pitfalls of it. I'm not blaming. I'm not saying America deserved 9/11. I'm certainly not saying that at all. But if you look at American foreign policy in the Middle East, 
for the past God knows how many decades. It's pretty disgusting. You know, ditto for the rest of the West as well. Right, there were legitimate grievances with the West, with, with America, uh, when it comes to you know uh, um, the, the Middle East. It's a hotbed of of um, extremism, uh, and we've done nothing but fan the flames of extremism with our policies, with our extractive uh, policies for you know doing deals with disgusting um, regimes, with the Saudis uh, for for oil. So you know there, there is there's some responsibility. Right, there, there's we bear some responsibility for uh, for that, I think, and I think now that that every year, you know, it's 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 sad because it was obviously a very it was a horrendous day, it was a terrible, it was a tr- mass tragedy, uh, and and that gets lost, um, you know, the right wing in America, the Republican Party, I think, kind of turned it into something else they they created a monster out of um out, out of this tragedy uh, and an excuse to go and d- basically destroy the middle east and here we are 20 years later cleaning up the mess um you know and then when you hear kind of you know ted cruz you know weeping about about 9-11 and and these republicans um talking about how you know this was a an attack on their freedom and you just think you know what guys like shut the fuck up about it you know maybe we can try and learn something from this as opposed to using it for uh you know for political purposes which is really what happened you know which the neocons basically hijacked it and used it for their insane you know um imperial projects abroad so yeah it's a complex topic you know and and obviously a, a real tragedy but i think it's been yeah, I feel like it's been commercialized almost as well. Younger listeners of this podcast may think that you are overstating the fervor in the months and years uh, after 9-11. I want to say maybe 2001 to 2004 or 5 around there. But you're not. You're, you're really not. I mean, the cable news like MSNBC – for example, like had this policy. I don't know if it was just MSNBC, but basically it was hard to find an anti-war voice in the lead up to the Iraq war and in the be- especially in the beginnings of the Iraq war. It was just all people who are pro-war or for, mostly anyway. You know, you had Bill O'Reilly telling Americans that once the war starts, we expect anti-war people to shut up so they don't undermine the cause. I, that was a thing that happened. That was a thing that he said. And you know what? His colleague Alan Combs did it. Ha, like one half of Hannity and Combs. He was the liberal punching bag of Sean Hannity. And that's exactly what he did once the war started. Laura Ingram wrote a book called Shut Up and Sing. Right? And now she's on cable news saying, like, denouncing our foreign policy misadventures. Like, oh, oh yeah, now, yeah, now you tell us. Now you tell us. When there's no money in it, there's no money in in defending the Iraq War or the Afghan War at this point. But there was plenty of it back then in 2003 or when, whenever she or some intern wrote her shitty book. So you're really not overstating it. The, the pro-war thing, the pro-war protests on campus, uh, that shit is just wild. And I do agree with you that it's it, it it's become it's become a bit much. 
in a lot of cases, there seems to be like a virtue signaling. But I see like a lot of people on Twitter like attempting to rehabilitate the image of George W. Bush because he gave – I didn't see it, but apparently he gave a moving speech at the at the memorial um, or at the uh, commemoration this morning. And it's like this guy – I mean, whether or not you think he, you know, should have paid more attention to Al Qaeda and, and Bin Laden. I mean, you can argue that you know there's nothing really he could have done, even after he got the presidential daily brief on August sixth, two thousand one, titled "Bin Laden Determined to Strike in U.S." Like, all right, maybe he couldn't have stopped it, but just the shit he got us in after it, and all those neocons, and they kept losing, they kept lying about, as you said, why we were attacked. We weren't attacked because our women can wear bikinis and we listen to fucking Western music and dance and do all this shit. That's not why they attacked us. They didn't attack Norway. They didn't attack Italy. They didn't attack Greece or Australia. They attacked the United States on that day on 9-11 because we were in the Middle East. We had a base in Saudi Arabia, which was bin Laden's home country. It's the same reason Al-Qaeda attacked the coal. The USS Cole in 2000. People forget about that one. Um, but yeah. And uh, all those people who died on 9-11, the Bush administration cynically exploited their deaths to sell a war, uh, to sell a lie. A, a war based on a lie. And used Americans' worst fears. Condi Rice, like saying, we don't want the proof of WMDs to come in the form of a mushroom cloud, suggesting Saddam had or was close to having nuclear weapons, which was completely fucking ridiculous. So, yeah, never forget that also. Never forget what happened on 9-11, but also never forget all of the bullshit that happened afterwards. So that's all I got to say. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Ben, what do you think? Yeah, no, I'm with you 100%. Um, it's, a, it's a shame because it was, it was a real tragedy. You know, thousands of Americans lost their lives. It had a grave impact on many, many lives, particularly, you know, obviously the families of people who lost, uh, the, the families of, of people who died, and also the, the rescue workers, you know, who worked night and day to pull people out of rubble and wreck their breathing and, Yes. Suffering today, you know, so I think obviously it's, yeah, you know, I just thought it's good to be honest about these things as well. Uh, and I can't, I can't help but having lived through it and, and re remembering it and remembering the fervor and the page and all the patriotic bullshit that we are supposed to swallow in the wake of 9-11, you know, it's, it's kind of been soured. Um, and I guess it, you know, it conveniently allows everyone to forget the crimes that were committed in the name of 9-11. You know? So yes, anyway. But, but anyway, on that note, we will leave it there and we will be back next week. Uh, if you are enjoying the Banter podcast, make sure, make sure you are subscribing to at least the newsletter. You can also listen to us on Spotify or on iTunes. You can subscribe to both of them. There will be the links in the email newsletter. Or you can just type in the Banter, the, uh, the Banter podcast on iTunes or on Spotify. Um, if you are a fan of the Banter, please, please, please become a member. Your support means the world to us. It means we can do what we do. Um, I mean, 
it's um, you know we, we've been around for quite some time now. Uh, we have a very low audience of people, and uh, we couldn't survive without you guys. So a big thanks to everyone there. And um, yep, yeah, we will see you next week, uh, Mike, my, my friend. Um, take care and bye, everybody.